Hi, and welcome to week five of our Who Am I Discipleship module. For the next two weeks, we're going to be diving into the nitty-gritty. How does all the things that we've looked at these last four weeks, uh, identity created, identity fallen, identity redeemed and glorified, then give us tools and a framework to understand some of the various competing identities that are in our culture today? And how do we have a Christian framework to offer something better than what our world is offering? This week, we are looking at identity and sexuality, and we're going to look at it under three parts. In this video, kind of an overview of identity and sexuality. Uh, next, identity and homosexuality. And then third, identity and transsexuality. And I realize this is a very difficult topic and want to do my best to handle this with care and sensitivity because many of you, this is a, a personal issue. You have family and people that you love dearly wrestling with these issues. Probably some of you in the church even are wrestling with these issues. And so I'm going to do my best here, but if you have questions or would like to talk more about any of this, I would be happy uh, to sit down and talk with you about that. Well, I recently watched the movie The Social Dilemma, which looks at the often unnoticed effects and kind of side effects that technology is having on our well-being, and in particular, what social media is doing to us. And in one interview, a former Facebook engineer whose claim to fame is that he's the co-creator of the like button, he said this, our entire motivation for the like button was to spread positivity. We had no idea it would lead to depression. Many saw social networks as a good that would allow people to stay connected with friends and family and build thicker relationships. But more than a decade in, these people realized that this thing that they built for good is actually causing a lot of harm. A New York Times article recently stated, Instagram in particular is a hub of youth anxiety and mental health problems. The company's own research indicates that the app exacerbates body image issues for nearly a third of teenage girls experiencing them. And in our quest to address real needs and hurts, sometimes the solution ends up doing more harm than good. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we look at sexual identity, that many of the things that modern sexual identities are trying to address are real issues. Those that are called sexual minorities in our culture today, they often really do suffer from a sense of shame and isolation. They have higher rates of suicide and depression. Religious authorities will often offer shallow solutions or unrealistic expectations of change. And if you don't meet those expectations, well, it must be your fault for not trying hard enough. Uh, and, and all kinds of other things that can make it very difficult for these people to live in society. And so, so much of modern sexual identities are really trying to address what are real needs. But what I fear is that the solution that they propose, embracing really any type of sexuality or gender, gender identity, is a bit like the like button. That it may try to address some good, but also lead to unintended consequences that may end up hurting a lot more people than they help. Now, when it comes to our identity, I think scripture gives us two basic identities. We are either in Adam or in Christ. Romans 5 makes this clear. Consider verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Uh, Paul here essentially is saying there are two family trees in all of history. There is the family tree of Adam, which brings with it the spiritual DNA of sin and condemnation. And every one of us is born in Adam because we are descendants of Adam. And then there is also, though, Paul says, the family tree of Jesus, which brings with it his spiritual DNA of righteousness and life. And the way that you move from that family tree of Adam into the family tree of Jesus is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That when we look to faith in Jesus, he, through the work of his spirit, essentially gives us a new birth, moving us into his family tree, and we then receive all the benefits of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean there are lesser identities that we might claim or, or, or say that are ours. We might have racial or nath national or other identifying identities, but these identities fall under what we could say are our ultimate identities, being either in Adam or in Christ. And this puts sexual identities in their proper place. Ever since humanities fall into sin, one reoccurring theme is we try to take good things and turn them into ultimate things. We sometimes call this idolatry. But the thing is, these good things cannot bear the weight of our soul. God did not design them to be strong enough to bear the weight or constitute our identity. And so sexuality, which is a good gift from God, is in a fallen world elevated into an identity, which is a weight, though, it cannot handle. But if our true identity is in Christ, that means Jesus is then the perfect picture of what it means to be truly human. Remember how Wes showed us in the first week that to be human is to be made in God's image. And Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And one implication of this is that then sexual experience cannot be part of what it means to be truly human. Because Jesus never had sex. And so if sexual experience is essential to being human, then we would have to say that Jesus was a deficient human. But scripture actually tells us the very opposite. He was the quintessential human. He embodied what it means to be human. And yet he died a virgin. In our attempt to find identity outside of God, humans make an identity out of sexuality, among many other things. And this isn't just homosexual identities, but actually whenever we say sex is part of what it means to be truly human, that you cannot fulfill your full potential as a human unless you experience sex, we are making an identity out of sexuality. And it's just as easy for heterosexual people to do that as it is for homosexual people to do that. Well, if sexuality is not an essential part of what it means to be human, uh, what do we make of sexual desire? Because it was created by God. It is a good thing. 
And I want to wrap that up by looking at the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. This is Jesus's first public miracle, and he's at a wedding, and his mom tells him that they've run out of wine. Now, in my experience, it is better to go to a wedding when you're married than when you're single. And Jesus responds to her as a single guy, dear woman, this is not our problem. My time has not yet come. When I attend a wedding as a married guy, I am always transported back to my wedding day on that sunny October off afternoon in Southern California. But when you attending to attend a wedding as a single person, it reminds you you're still single. And I think that is at play in Jesus' words. My time has not yet come. This wedding at Cana has Jesus longing for his wedding. One of the themes from the beginning of the Bible to the end is that our marriages are momentary, shadows of the wedding that all creation has been longing for, the union between Christ and his people, that every Christian gets to experience what momentary marriages are a shadow of, that intimate union between God himself with uh, his people, it is a union of us becoming one with the one who is love. So whether you have a great marriage or a failed marriage, or if you've been to 15 weddings, but 50 weddings, but never your own, and doubt you ever will be, if you're in Christ, the best is yet to come. Or if you cannot act out on your sexual desires because it is against God's instructions for how sex is to be cared for, or if you die a virgin like Jesus, you still miss out on nothing because you get to experience the reality of what marriage and sexuality is a shadow of, the union with a God who is love. And one day, if you are in Christ, you'll be in your wedding. It'll be your wedding and you'll walk down the aisle to behold your God. And on that day, the weight of all the suffering and the waiting and the, the shame and the loneliness and the struggle of lifelong sin, the, the isolation that you faced, in that moment when Christ embraces you, us, his church, as his perfect bride, bright and glorious, all of those tears that have added up over the years will come flowing out. And with a gentle touch, he'll wipe them away forever and invite you to step forward to experience what marriage was actually made for and to realize that in all those years, you've missed out on nothing. <laughs>